everybody. Welcome to the Good Evening Kitties podcast, a Tales from the Crypt review. My name is Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, and today's episode is season six, episode 13, Comes the Dawn. Not to be confused with other, another episode called Came the Dawn. In the collection of other Tales from the Crypt episodes, there's Comes the Dawn and Came the Dawn. There's only Skin Deep and only Sin Deep, and I think there might be one other little pair, too, that I can't think of off the top of my head, but this is a, a similar type name. I guess I just couldn't think of anything else. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're all kind of spaced out a bit from seasons, so I guess it doesn't matter too much. But uh, yeah, season six, episode 13, comes the dawn. Let's get into it. As always, John Kassir does the voice of the Crypt Keeper and Danny Elfman does the theme song. This episode aired January 11th, 1995. It was directed by John Hertzfield, who directed movies like 15 Minutes and Two Days in the Valley. The screenplay was written by Scott Nimmerfro, it stars Bruce Payne from movies like Passenger 57, Vivian Wu, which what I know her from is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, uh, which I watched a lot as a kid, the one where they go to feudal Japan. She is the woman who I think is the older sister of the little boy Yoshi in it, in the village they go to, which you can pick up her voice if you've ever seen that movie. I noticed it right, I was like, her voice sounds really familiar. Again, I watched that movie a lot. I know a lot of people don't think it's like a really good one, but I have a lot of fun with that one. At least when I was a kid, I haven't seen it in a long time. This episode also stars Michael Ironside from movies like Scanners. He's also been in a previous Tales from the Crypt episode. Everyone's acting fairly well in this episode. I'd say Michael Ironside definitely is the better one in this, but yeah, I mean, everyone's... It's only four people, really, so <laughs> small cast. And also it has Susan Tyrell in this episode, who I'm very happy to see. I'm always happy to see her. She's in movies like Forbidden Zone. She was in Fat City. And I always liked her in another movie that a lot of people don't tend to like compared to the other ones. Big Top Pee-wee, Pee-wee Herman's movie uh, where he's in a circus. She plays Midge, I think her name is. She's a, a very, 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 very micro, like really tiny person who was married to Chris Christopherson in the movie. And she's got a really distinct voice. I'm going to go ahead here and read the description for Comes the Dawn from the back of the box. Who's an endangered species now? Poachers in Alaska stumble onto a bear of a problem. Vampires. Oh no, they gave it away. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they do give it away. That's okay. I mean, it's fine. This is a very dark episode. Like, um, uh, Surprise Party was kind of like that too. But it's shot really dark and cold. It's supposed to be in Alaska. It's supposed to be, you know, middle of the night type situation. And they make it look pretty good. You know, at least it looks cold. They have a lot of like snow laying on everything. I think some of it's probably fake. But yeah, it gets the point across. So yeah, let's break into this episode. I'm going to be honest. I've watched this episode for this podcast probably at least four times, three or four times. I've had a little bit of trouble trying to figure out exactly what's going on in this episode. And I'll get into why. But it, I mean, I know it's not like super complicated. And if you hear anything in the background, that's Gus. He's jumping around behind me on the futon. But uh, yeah, so it's not a super complicated plot. It's just there's some things thrown in there for like no reason. And I don't know if some of it's a lie or not. So anyway, let's get into the episode. Season six, episode 13 comes the dawn. Here we go. So this episode opens up with the Crypt Keeper and he is relaxing on a beach type situation. He's got a lawn chair or like a beach chair and his sunglasses. And there's a human woman here who he is not killing. Even in season six uh, here, which I have mentioned many, many times, almost in every episode of season six, that they try to get a little more sexy in this season, it seems like to me. And even in this season, season six too, the Crypt Keeper is getting sexy times. 
He looks like a burnt raisin right now. He's got like a little um, tank top type shirt on and he's getting ready to put some suntan lotion on this, this babe in the bikini and he's got his sunglasses on and he's bringing in the episode. And this episode opens up in a bar. You just see a bunch of like drinks and the credits coming in and someone's making a drink on the blender. I believe it's Susan Tyrell. And it's a pretty empty bar. I think there's music playing on a jukebox. And she tends to be in outfits that are a little off, you know, like kind of weird. And like she's good at playing dramatic, crazy roles and things like that. So Susan Tyrell is the bartender here. And her name is Mona. And she's just making drinks. And I don't really see anyone else here besides her. Oh, I think the drink's for her. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so she's making herself a drink. Kicking the jukebox, just being all tough. Leather jacket and bandana around her neck and like short blonde hair. There's some sounds at the door of this bar. Yeah, so I think she's pretty much like closed up for the night or closing up. So it's late. And Michael Ironside comes in and he's playing Burroughs. He's like a sergeant or something in the military. We don't know that yet, but that's where it gets a little weird for me. So maybe I'm just not getting it. Anyway, so Michael Ironside's character Burroughs comes in and he's all cold and he's like, whew. And then they kind of do like some close-ups from time to time on Mona's face. And you can see that there's something, I thought at first she had lipstick in her teeth because her teeth are like real like reddish, like gummy looking. And I was like, well, maybe she, cause she had red lipstick on too. So I'm like, maybe she got in her teeth, but really her teeth is just, are just like really weird. And I'm like, what is wrong with her teeth? Is this going to come to play? Cause I've seen Susan Tyrell on her things and she doesn't normally have teeth like that. Something going to be up with her teeth. And Michael Aronside comes in and he's like wanting a drink or something or whatever. He wants to warm up by the fire. And after he comes in, another guy comes in, and this is Parker, and Parker is played by Bruce Payne, and he comes in, and he's got more of like, I don't know, they get like equipment, like some hiking equipment, and cold weather wear, and a gun. And Parker is a little bit more rude to Mona. You know, they've just flown in. He's just like, it's really cold out here. This bartender's giving me shit, or whatever, and she's like, excuse me. And then Michael Ironside's like, oh no, don't worry about Parker. He just doesn't like to fly. He's all messed up. Sorry about that. So Mona's like, what are you guys doing here? They're hunting bears, poaching bears, right? And they're looking for a guide named Jerry Drumbeater. And Mona's like, Jerry's my ex. Yeah, so Jerry used to be the game warden around here. <laughs> Apparently they caught Jerry fishing with dynamite. A little late in the season for a vacation getaway, isn't it, boys? Let's see. I'm in Butthole, Alaska. It's cold on a witch's left one out there. No one else around. That's very astute, bartender. Now, I have a Sherlock Holmes moment for you. Your favorite blender speed is... Fury? You get the hell out of here. You'll have to forgive the sergeant, my dear. He just got off a very long flight and he's not a big fan of flying. That don't mean he's got to be nasty. No, it doesn't. I apologize, but maybe you can help us. You see, we're looking for a very special kind of hunting guide. Somebody who's not only concerned with limit laws or the endangered species list. Sounds like you be talking about my ex, Jerry Drumbeater. Used to be game warden around here. Till the sheriff caught Jerry fishing with dynamite. Dynamite? Well, it sounds like Jerry's our man. Yeah, sure does. Except for one little problem. And that is? I turned Jerry in myself. I don't take kindly to poachers. 
And she goes over and she picks up the phone and she puts a cigarette in her mouth and she's dialing up, right? And she's doing it like right in front of them. So she's like, I don't give a crap. And Michael Ironside and uh, Bruce Payne, Parker and Burroughs kind of have this look at each other like, yeah, do it. All right, do it. You know, like this little nod. She's like, I'm calling the sheriff and everything. And then Parker pulls a, a gun out, a handgun, and Michael Ironside turns around and then he shoots her. He kills her. You don't see it, but he shoots her. And I'm like, you're going to kill her already? She's great. So Mona's dead. Still don't know what's happening to her teeth, but I was like, all right. They're like, we don't want to deal with that, but we're going to try to find Jerry anyway. <laughs> it just like cuts to them finding Jerry. Jerry Drumbeater is on this bed, like in some room, I guess behind the bar. I don't know. I can't, it doesn't really say. I guess they get the information off her kind of, but the way they said about her turning in to the sheriff, I thought she'd be like in jail, but maybe she just lost her job as a game warden. I don't know. So Vivian Wu plays Jerry Drumbeater, who I believe is supposed to be an Alaskan native in this show, but it's played by a Chinese American woman, but that's fine. It's acting, whatever. But like, I was like, okay. And they find her and she's like in this dark room and they're like, are you sure you're Jerry Drumbeater? Because they were expecting a guy. It's freezing outside, but she's in, she must be really warm in this room because she's just got a tank top and like some shorts or like jeans on or something. And they're like, we want you to help us catch this grizzly bear. And then Parker's like, and we'll give you the lump sum of $100 cash money. Like that's supposed to be ex like 100 bucks. Like, come on. Like it's going to be worth more than that for this bear. And she's like, I don't do that. Burroughs is like, well, it's got to be more exciting than what you're doing now laying around here watching Static. And then they see this little bear that has a purple heart on it from the military. That's the purple heart. You should display it proudly. It's not something that I'm proud of, Colonel. I was wounded in a firefight. Our APC was hit by mortars. We were two clicks outside of the city of Jalabash. I know because I was there. All dead. 22 casualties. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Those Iraqi bastards caught us with our pants down. But we showed them who was boss. We shelled the shit out of them. I know because I gave the order. You did? That's an affirmative soldier. The colonel here saved your ass. It's payback time, soldier. And so he kind of just guilts her into it. He's, uh, Michael Ironside's like, you know, you got this purple heart for being in Desert Storm. We were there together. He's like, I gave the orders in this like firefight. But it's like, it, I don't know, part of it's also like, I guess, is he bad for doing the order? Or like, I don't know, they don't go enough into it. It just seems like it's out of the blue. Like, I don't buy that he's a colonel. I've looked up some reviews and things that they call him that. Fine. I just feel like they could have worked a little bit more into the army or the military um, background for Desert Storm just a little bit more. Instead, what they end up doing is you find out there's like this lesbian thing between Mona and her that kind of, it doesn't go anywhere. It really doesn't matter. Maybe one or two like little lines that are like, oh, okay, I get that. But really all they do is they throw that in so that they can say like, some like semi-derogatory comments about that, uh, which I'll get into later too. So like it just, I feel like they would have cut more of that out and, and worked more on this part. It maybe would have made a little more sense. It's not that it's not a fun episode. It's just kind of a little disjointed. So they make her feel guilty and she's like, fine, I will help you. And they head out into this winter and they got like wind blowing and the snow everywhere. And they're like, this is an abandoned weather station. She's like, this is an abandoned weather station. The bears love it. It's the middle of the night and it's snowing bad. And I guess they're expecting to find bears hibernating, but then they're not even near where they would really be hibernating or like sleeping. Like this place looks freezing cold. So I don't know. Maybe it's all just a fluke when you find out the end. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Jerry doesn't even have like a hat on or anything. She's used to being here. It's fine, even though it's freezing. So she's talking to Burroughs and they find some tracks and it's supposed to be a grizzly and they're like, cool, we're going to get it. 
So yeah, they're going to set some traps and get these bears. And it's kind of like, it's also got Parker and Burroughs like talking to the side about their partnership. I feel like they could have done a little more research on the, ter the terrain. I mean, I guess they were like, well, we'll just get this guy to help us or this, you know, now it's a woman, this woman to help us and we'll be fine. But they could, they should have planned this a little bit better instead of just being like, we'll just drop in, get this bear, or call my location thing. I've been in the military 20 years. I got this, you know, like he's just like, whatever. And Burroughs calls Parker Sergeant. So I don't know if he was in the military too. I don't know. So he goes, Burroughs goes outside and then Parker and Drumbeater are left in there to set some traps. And this is where there's like this weird flirty thing where she's, it's freezing out, you know? He doesn't have his hat on either. It's cold. She's setting a bear trap. She kind of bends over and I guess you see her butt. I don't know. It's like not, like it's, I mean, she's covered in clothes, but he's all like, yeah, girl, back that up. Or like, it's almost exactly like what he says. <laughs> That's what Parker says, right? And then she walks over and she's like, you know, you don't have to try so hard. You could have me if you wanted to. I mean, by now they knew about her and Mona because they figured, you know, because Mona said that was her ex. So she, he was like, I thought you were into women. And she's all like, well, I'm into both, whatever, you know, meets meat, which I was like, okay. Oh, so she's like, meets meat. He mentioned something about Mona's teeth. And I was like, yes, like I'm much upset. I'm like, yes, what about Mona's teeth? He was like, I can't believe you'd be interested with someone like that with their teeth and everything. And he, she's like, well, actually it helps make things easier. And I'm like, what? They don't really get to talk much about that because like they kind of start flirting and she is kind of like trying to get him to join her and talking to him about, um, well, how bears love teriyaki jerky and asking him like, is this 50-50? And he, like, she's trying to turn them two against each other. I'm all yours if you want me. What about your friend, the bartender? I like men too. Girls, you know, it's all meat. Some you eat, and some you kiss. <clears throat> all the uh, lesbian thing I can understand. It's you I can't figure. I mean, how can you be with a woman with such a rotten mouth? That's what made the relationship possible. Kidding, right? What's the matter? You find me a little too intense? <sighs> too bad. I had high hopes for you. I thought you had high hopes for the Colonel. I mean, you wouldn't be trying to play us against each other, would you? Why would I do that? Now tell me about this little hunting expedition. I get the feeling it's not for pleasure. You're hunting endangered species. Grizzlies and brown bears. Why would we be doing that? A gallbladder alone is worth about $64,000. 64000 for one organ? How much did the colonel tell you they were worth? Isn't it a 50-50 split? 70-30. He's the one with all the connections. And at first, I thought she said you could get 64000 for a bear. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then upon rewatching it for like the third or fourth time, I realized what she said is you could get 64000 for a bear gallbladder. Holy crap, <laughs> just for the organ? And that's what he said. He's like, wait, just for that? So I decided to look it up because I was like, what's so interesting about bear gallbladders? So what it is, is like, as of 2013, from what I saw in the very small amount of research I did, if you get the gallbladder, you can get a couple hundred bucks or something. But if it's like on the end market, like a high price thing, you can get like five to 10 grand for a gallbladder when it's ground into powder. So, I mean, I don't know if you can get 64,000 for a gallbladder. I doubt that. I feel like that might be exaggerated a bit, but you can get a decent price just for that organ. 
And, and that's because of the bare bile. So in the early 1900s, according to this National Geographic article thing I found, um, there's this bare bile and it's used in traditional Chinese medicine, but there's this from black bears. So I don't know, but it's going back a long way, but it can dissolve gallstones and treat liver disease. I think it can like shrink tumors or something. Let's see, let's, let's try grizzly bear. Cause I mean, I'm pretty sure they did jump that price. And I don't think it's necessarily grizzly bears. It looked like it's more black bears. But yeah, so that's one reason why people poach bears or bo bears get poached and things like that. Um, so they become endangered. So she's trying to turn them against each other. She kisses him and then she does this thing where like she kisses Parker and then like she starts to get on her knees like she's going to just whip it out, I guess, and do something. It's freezing out here. Maybe we don't bring our genitalia out because I feel like it would frostbite pretty quickly. But it never gets that far. Like he kind of pulls her back up. Like as she's starting to go down, he pulls her back up. And that's when Michael Ironside is like, you know, we're a partnership. I can hear everything. You know, they're, they're both like, yeah, you hear that? I hear that. So like he's been hearing this the whole time. So now they're on to her. Michael Ironside throws a bear head, a decapitated bear head into the warehouse thing. It doesn't exactly look like a grizzly bear, <laughs> but okay. But throws it in there. So someone has been killing these bears already. Jerry might know more than she's letting on. And I'm like, yeah, so those guys are onto it. You know, bros before hoes and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you hear this creature sound in the background. What the hell was that? And they're like, what was that? And they start heading out of the place and they're looking for it. And they're, well, they're heading, I guess they turn a corner in the warehouse. I don't know, they're walking through the warehouse. Jerry kind of disappears after this point. So they keep hearing these sounds and they're following it. And they get through this big, this little like warehouse with the tunnels and they go into this room. And then this part was done, I think, pretty well, like special effects wise. So they took like these, there's these, all these like gelatinous, veiny, gooey sacks that are hanging from the ceiling. It reminds me of Species 2. If you've seen that, it's like um, Species 2, the guy would get the chicks pregnant and then they would have their pregnancy really quick and it was horrible. And then they would give birth and they'd die. And then you take these little children and I think they would get in these like little sacks and then grow into adults or something. And it's kind of like that. And these little sacks are like wiggling. They're all different sizes. They look like, they look like, like wet tarps with like veiny things and stuff, but it looks good. And they're all just hanging upside down and making these little noises and stuff. And they walk in and they're shining their lights on it. And they're like, oh my God, what's all this? And they get close to it and it starts moving. They're like, we should just get out of here. We should just go. This is a terrible idea. That's when this little girl like slides up from the bottom of the screen, which is kind of fun. And she, she's got some clothes on, like some, some winter wear on, right? She's not supposed to be there. And she's like, can you help me? My friends, we're lost. And they're like, what are you doing here? Oh, you're really cold. Almost like you'd be dead. That's crazy. And then she starts to leave and they're like, where are you going? And then she turns around and she's a little vampire child. Oh my God. Me and my friends are lost. Can you help us? Where did you come from? Huh? Whoa. Whoa, you're freezing. Feel her. I don't get it. Something's wrong. Her body temperature's way too low. Well, she'd have to be. Why? Dead. Ooh. Hey, where are you going? And she turns around and she's got like a more grown up face and a vampire face. And they're like, ah, and they go to run. And they get into, they run back into the room with all the little body hanging upside down. And they're starting to move and like, I guess, come out of their little wet cocoon things. 
And they're like, we gotta go. And they turn around and that little girl's gone. And they're like, oh my God, what is this? You know, and they keep like turning back and forth. And then that's when Jerry comes out from between the hangy sacks, right? And this is where it also gets a bit of a stretch on the plot for me. We're in the last like five minutes of the episode. And they're like, oh, by the way, here's what's going on. So apparently, I guess she lived in this town. Jerry lived in this town. She didn't like it. And then something happened. Kids had, I guess the kids had it first. This vampirism came into this town, took out the kids first and then like the adults and the parents or whatever. And then I think she was injured from the wound in Desert Storm. It kind of almost seems like she died because she keeps saying that like her blood is poison to these vampires so they can't feed on her. So she can live among them and help them, but she's sick of doing it. And like, they can't bite her, but she's stuck here. I don't know why, why she can't leave unless she's dead. She didn't bring them there though. So I don't know how she's helping them. So she's like, yeah, you know, you did that order. You saved your life. But that order that he gave in the military hurt her. She pulls back her shirt a little like on her chest, like Superman kind of thing. And it's just like all veiny from her neck down and like scarred and stuff. Apparently when he was going to shoot the enemy, he shot his own people. Yeah, so I guess she's dead. So she's dead is what they're saying. So because she, I don't know. I don't know. She lives among the undead because of this guy. And so she's mad. Maybe she had him come there. I didn't think so. But they didn't know about Jerry Drumbeater. So maybe that's why. I don't know. It just seems like a really weird plot of how this all happened. But she's like, you destroyed my life. So I live among the outcasts here. And I can't even become one of them because my blood is poison to them. I don't know. They send her back there and then they tried to bite her and it brought her back. But then she can't be a vampire. I don't know. I want more of like what they're going into. Like, what is this vampire lore here? It's very like 30 days a night and I'm, I'm into that. And I'm like, I want more. And then the other guy, uh, Parker's like, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. I'm not Burroughs, so I'm just gonna go, bye. You can go ahead and take the Colonel. And then see, that's when she's like, well, I offered you a chance to join me. And you said no, when they were in the warehouse. He takes the gun out and he's gonna shoot her. But it's like, you can't even shoot her. She's already dead, I guess. I just wish they would have explained it a little bit better. I mean, unless I'm just not picking that up. But then the vampires start coming out and they look great. They look a lot like the ghouls from Morning Mess in a previous episode, but with a bit more wetness to it and a bit more makeup around the eyes. They look great. They kill Burroughs, Michael Ironside's character. Parker runs off and he gets caught in the bear trap, I believe. And then he runs off. He goes back to Jerry's cabin and he's thinking, even though we don't know anything about this vampire lore, they just showed up in this area for some reason. So how would he even know? But he was like, Parker's laying on the bed and he's like, okay, well, when the sun comes up, these vampires will leave. Even though technically, I guess Jerry would, I don't know what Jerry is. Maybe she'd still be alive. I don't know. So he's laying there on the bed with the bear trap on his feet and it's like all dark and there's just some lights coming through like from the glimmer off the, uh, the TV and stuff. And he looks at the clock and it's 10 a.m. And he's like, 10 a.m.? What? Where'd it go? No, you know, the sun. He's like, no, it's too dark out. And then he sees this cigarette or a little cigar in the ashtray that's burning. And he's like, that's weird. That was not there before. And then that's when Susan Tyrell comes back. Mona comes back. You find out she's a vampire too. That's one reason her teeth are the way they are. I don't know if they either took the teeth out or she has some sort of thing over it. So then I guess intimately they can be together because there's no one else out here in the middle of nowhere. They can be together and she can't hurt her. But then it's, that doesn't make sense either because Jerry said that the vampires can't bite her because her blood is poison unless maybe it's like you get so turned on as a vampire that you have to bite. So then they took her teeth out so she could bite. I... I don't know. A lot of things that I feel like they could have gone more into. Unfortunately, that has to get squeezed into like a 23-minute episode. But anyway, Mona comes back. She looks crazy. Yeah, she's got a gunshot through her head, but now she's got her vampire teeth back. So I don't know. It doesn't... You know what? Whatever. 
Maybe she just had stuff covering them. <sighs> Fine. And so her vampire teeth are back. She's got like a gunshot on her head and she's crazy. And she's just like all over the place. And her facial expressions are awesome and weird. And then he punches her and like pushes her back and is fighting her. She slides onto the floor and she's got like these leather pants on too. Yeah, she's like all leather. And then he takes like this, <laughs> he takes like this flag or something, this pole and stabs it right through her heart. And <laughs> her face that she does is just real great. She's like, nah. And he's like, yeah, suck on that. And then he's like, it's going to take a lot more than a lesbian vampire biker whore to take me out or whatever. And I'm like, okay, that's just rude to lesbians, vampires, bikers, and whores. I guess they just wanted that to throw that line in. He's like, great, cool. She's dead. And he goes to like leave or whatever. And then you hear someone at the door and it's Jerry. And she's like, don't worry, it's just me. She's like, you might be wondering about why the sun's not up. 10 a.m. It's too dark out. It's only me. Where's the sun? In Alaska. The sun isn't coming up for another two months. Isn't that convenient? They didn't look up anything before they planned this trip to find out if there was constant nighttime right now. But it's cool though, because then she says that and then she opens up the door and it's like all the little creatures and they're like all like, she's like petting them. And then she like sends them after him and she's just smiling. And that's the end of the episode. There were vampires and they both died because they were greedy poachers. It's not a bad episode. It's got some great effects and it's fun. It just, I feel like it could have been more fleshed out, pun intended. Uh, let me see here about that Alaska thing. Okay, well, Barrow is one of Alaska's northernmost cities and gets complete darkness for two months out of the year. Maybe they are in Barrow and I missed that. But then in Barrow, they will enjoy the midnight sun all summer. That sounds even creepier. That would weird me out. I guess that's why you get like blackout curtains and stuff. I don't know. So that is a thing. I mean, I knew some of it was a thing. I just didn't know if it was that long. But yeah, maybe they're in Barrow. So that's the end of season six, episode 13, Comes the Dawn. We go back to the Crypt Keeper. He's enjoying a drink with a little umbrella in it. <laughs> Crypt Keeper, you're so punny. And the best Crypt Keeper pun is... I think he'll get used to being hunted for a change once he gets the fang of it. And if it doesn't work out, he can re-enlist in the Marine Corps. <laughs> Get it? Hunter, Fang, Fang, vampires. So yeah, that's the end of the episode. Uh, there is one little piece of IMDb trivia, which I already mentioned about Michael Ironside appearing in The Sacrifice, which is a previous Tales from the Crypt episode in 1990. The next episode is season six, episode 14, 99 and 44, 100% pure horror. 
Thank you all so much for downloading and listening to this episode. You can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Gek Podcast. That's at G-E-K Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can send me an email at goodeveningpod at gmail.com. You can also leave a review on, I believe, Podcast Republic, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, and Facebook, and I will read it on the podcast. You can check out Gus the Podcat on his Instagram page, at a sweet cat named Gus. And that's pretty much it. So yeah, thanks again for listening, and have a good one. Bye!